really did change when the GATT became the WTO. I think WTO sort of put trade in on the world landscape. Yeah. Um, it was always there in a sort of a more uh, hidden manner, subtle manner, but I think with the advent of the WTO, it became very much into the forefront. And I think that, you know, the WTO, the creation of the WTO did change the whole dynamics. Um, yeah, the GATT, we were barely ever noticed, <laughs> but the WTO, we became very noticed. That was Suja Rishikesh Mabroidis, director of the Market Access Division at the World Trade Organization in Geneva, Switzerland. I am Rodolfo, and this is my podcast. I have known Suja for many years through my work with the WTO. I have meant to have her as a guest in my podcast for some time and I am delighted it finally happened. Suja is a fascinating individual who has been working in international trade since the GATT Secretariat days. In our conversation, she talks about having a very international upbringing and how that shaped her into eventually getting a job at the GATT Secretariat. She tells us how she experienced the GATT transition to the WTO and how international trade has evolved over the years. Our conversation may become a bit technical, but only because market access is a very technical subject. She concludes our conversation with how she views the WTO adapting to some of the changes the world has seen during the last year. It is a very insightful conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Suja. How are you? Thank you for accepting my invitation for this podcast. Thank you very much, Rodolfo. It's a pleasure to, to have this chat with you. Actually, I, I've already talked to your, your colleague, uh, Roy. Yes. And yes. also your husband. So yes. it was all my master plan to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Roy has been my colleague for, I think, now 15 years, perhaps. Really? Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, and Petrus, of course, uh, I met at the GATT, so yeah, he's, um, yeah, he's, I got to know him through the GATT, and then, uh, well, yeah, it's been a long time since <laughs> then, yeah, so. So, uh, let's start at the beginning. Uh, where are you from, originally? Yeah, I'm originally, I'm Indian. Yeah. Um, I'm of Indian origin, but I was born in Ethiopia, in oh, Addis okay. Ababa. Uh, my dad was an, uh, is an entomologist, well, uh, working for the World Health Organization, so he was focusing a lot on tropical diseases, including okay. malaria and elephantitis, etc. So he he was first stationed in Somalia, then uh, Addis, and then we moved um, to Iraq, and then we moved to Nigeria. Oh, so you've traveled a lot. Yes, <laughs> and then my sister and I moved to um, were sent to a boarding school in India for about two years. And then we were transferred to the United Kingdom, where we went to, you know, the the typical boarding school for about five years. We did our O levels at the time, and then came to Switzerland when my parents got transferred to Switzerland. So it was like this um, incredible journey, incredible exposure to um, different things. Um, fabulous. Um, I mean, I don't think. Um, 
education like that you learn in the school or anything? It's just sheer exposure to different cultures and communities and everything. It was fantastic. That, uh, that's pretty interesting. And I, I mean, I, my story is not as uh, storied as yours, but I was talking to a friend who asked me, like, where are you from? And I said, originally from Mexico, but I feel like a global citizen. Mm, mm. Because, like, I, I mean, I've lived here for more than a third of my life. My wife is from Kenya. Like, do you feel also like something like that? Very much an international citizen, but I, I still do have a very strong allegiance to India and to Switzerland. Uh, Switzerland has been a wonderful home to me, um, you know, and I became a naturalized Swiss very early on in 1988. And I think what really made me feel very integrated to this, um, to Switzerland was the fact that I went to Geneva University. Mm -hmm. So it's a very local institution. I made um, Swiss friends there. And uh, it was a five, and, and frankly, it was the only way I really learned French. It was the only way I could have learned French, and I learned French. It was being um, immersed in in that local culture, the the language. So you know, I was doing exams in French. I was doing everything. All my friends were French speaking. So it, it was it was you know. So I I do have that uh, very close ties to India because that I've always been exposed to that culture. Um, my parents brought up my sister and I in that medium, I'd say, um, but very tight to Switzerland also. But of course, absolutely um, also a global citizen in, 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 in the true sense of the world. You know, I appreciate definitely other cultures and, um, and I certainly know, I think, uh, I can appreciate the difference in perspectives. Um, so I think that's, that's been very important you know I understand perhaps where somebody comes from just simply because that person might have had a different experience different um, upbringing whatever it may be so yeah it's been it's been very 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 good and as you were growing up in this uh, like international environment like experiencing everything like what like what were your interests back then were you always interested in working in a international environment like the WTO yeah well you know my dad um, he he was a scientist right so he was working in the World Health Organization so for me this was not an unknown entity I mean international organizations had always known about about them um, as I was growing up um, but it's true that my beginning at the, let's say, the predecessor of the WTO, the GAD, mm. was completely accidental. I mean, it was through, um, you know, a friend of my dad's basically saying, oh, there's, there's this post which has opened up for a junior statistical assistant in, in, in the division. Um, and I actually owe it to, to this gentleman who goes by the name of Mr. Reggae. And in fact, more so his spouse, Mrs. Reggae, who, um, who had uh, told him that I would be interested in working somewhere. And he basically said, there is this post which has opened up, um, why don't you apply for it? So, I mean, that's how my journey started here. It was, it was a really, um, it wasn't a very, very, I would say, conscious decision that I want to work in trade and therefore I'm gonna go into trade. It was just circumstances that brought me to the GATT. Um, um, I actually I want to get back to this, but before I want to go a bit back. So um, when you were growing up, what your father was a scientist. Mm -hmm. What what uh, did you want to study back then? 
What did I want to study? I think, to be honest, I was very interested in biology. Ah, um, okay. Yeah, I loved biology and I always did well in biology. But I think when the decision was that I would go to Geneva University, um, I decided to take something which was less scientific and move more into, in those days it was known more as the arts, you know, and so I did a, a degree in business administration okay. at Geneva University. Um, and of course it was really very, very wide, I mean, you know, business administration, you know, we had the first year, I think there were about 11 subjects spanning uh, human resource development to accountancy, of course, and uh, financial accountancy and, you know, even mathemat mathematics. Um, so it was, it was, and marketing, etc. So, um, but I felt just more comfortable doing those kind of subjects uh, than a science subject. Um, so I changed, but I think my true love was really biology at the time, yeah. I don't know why I thought that you were a lawyer. <laughs> no, 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 okay. no, I have a, and then after I did actually business administration, I did join the Graduate Institute mm -hmm. for, um, and I was doing the program in international economics. At the time, it was not the Diplôme d'études supérieures, it was the Diploma uh, it was so it was slightly different. It wasn't sort of an uh, exact master's program. I did one year. I completed all the coursework, but then I never got to got round to doing the thesis, uh, which was a, a mandatory requirement because I, in the meantime, got this job at the GATT. So mm. I left that aside. But I did um, go back. I went to um, Cambridge to fin to do a master's in international studies. Um, much later on so that was nice yeah so when you your first uh, professional experience what the was the gut um, it was no i did a um, six months internship at the ilo and mm. then it it was it became a short-term contract at one point i think for an additional couple of months and then i joined the gat yeah so yeah really i've i've grown up with the GATT and Around. the WTO, yes, yeah. Yes. Well, even the, the building of the WTO was ILO before. Yes, <laughs> it was, it was, yeah. And in fact, my sister is in the ILO right now, so, okay. yeah. Yeah, so like it's completely within the family. It is, <laughs> it is, it is great, yeah. Um, now, like we're, when you were talking, I remember once I had this conversation with Bernard, uh, when he was at the Apple Body, that he told me that he had finished his LLM and he didn't know what to do. And then he got the job, like they told him, hey, do you want to come here to Geneva? He was like, yeah, maybe I'll go to Geneva, to mm -hmm. the WTO. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Like it's not as no. easy to just like join no. the, the no. WTO uh, or any international organization, not only the WTO. I think it's become extremely difficult. And um, I mean, already at the time that I joined, um, it was it was quite difficult, but still possible, you know. Um, but I think clearly, you know, when I advertised for a junior position um, in in the division, I mean, we get about six hundred to seven hundred applicants. So yeah, there it's it's very competitive, and I think, you know, in those days, as far as I recall, trade. I remember at the Graduate Institute there was um, a course which was given by um, 
Richard Blackhurst and mm. uh, um, uh, Professor Curzon uh, oh, at yeah, the yeah. time, which was called Multilateral Diplomacy. And that was about the GATT. And frankly, that was my sort of first exposure to the GATT, really. Um, so in those days, uh, you know, as far as I recall, you know, trade wasn't sort of um, a subject in and of itself that people went into. But what I do see more recently is that you have uh, full-fledged courses on trade. I mean, there's the Yelpo program, um, you know, there, there's the WTI, World Trade Institute. So it, it's, it's, it's really developed a life of its own, which was not the case, um, say, 30 years ago. So, yeah, yes, there's been a progression. Actually, I mean, I'm looking at it more from the perspective of like international law, me being a lawyer. International trade law is always looked at like the like the ugly duck in the <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that's the same like across like multilateral affairs. It's a bit like trade diplomacy and trade law it's a bit on the side. Perhaps Although less so now. Yeah. I think less so now. Um, it wasn't in the forefront when I started. Um, and I think I think things really did change when the GATT became the WTO. I think WTO sort of put trade in on the world landscape. Yeah. Um, it was always there in a sort of a more uh, hidden manner, subtle manner, but I think with the advent of the WTO, it became very much into the forefront. And I think that, you know, the WTO, the creation of the WTO did change the whole dynamics. Um, yeah, the GATT, we were barely ever noticed, <laughs> but the WTO, we became very noticed um, yeah, I mean, it's and noticeable. I, I am kind of a bit joking with my comment, but uh, yeah, definitely the WTO put the trade in the map and like everything changed after that. I'm curious, since you were there before during mm -hmm. the GATT, like how did you experience that transition? Um, well, I was very junior at the time, but I was very fortunate because um, Vesle, Vesle Kula Kuglu, who was former director of environment, so before, um, I can't remember when she left, but I think she left around the time that uh, DG Lamy had left. Um, she had brought me in to work on the legal drafting group because um, during the Uruguay round of negotiations, I was more involved in the tariff negotiating part. So, um, and at the, the latter end of the Uruguay round, um, there were, I think, four or more negotiating groups which had merged and they had become the negotiating group on market access right at the end. And um, so that was my first, I would say, exposure to the negotiations of the Uruguay round. Um, because up till that time, what I was doing was mostly, well, when I first started my career at the GATT, I was mainly preparing data for um, two officers by the name of Mr. Takaze and Ms. Elena Sindelar. So they were working respectively on tropical products and natural resource-based products. So I was working with them um, and with other colleagues preparing data for studies that they, had, they were preparing on, on these subjects. Um, 
Then when I joined the tariff division, I worked with this amazing person by the name of Madame Davel, who was the encyclopedia of tariffs and good schedules. I mean, unbelievable. Mm. Just remember, Rodolfo, in those days, we didn't have computers. We didn't have any of those things. Nothing like that. So she, she was amazing. She had such organizational skills. And in fact, Roy, when he inherited the market access portfolio, so the tariff tariff, uh, portfolio, he was just stunned at how well um, Yvette Davel had maintained her files and the record keeping and all of that. It was incredible. So she really taught me a lot in terms of the tariff and because of her I got involved in the tariff negotiating part of the Uruguay round. So that was the first time I sort of understood a little bit the dynamics of the negotiations Um, and I was there preparing schedules. At that time then, by 1992, we were starting to prepare the Uruguay round schedules Mm. and we were doing it in Excel. So that was very interesting Um, and the verification of schedules and all of that. So that was my first exposure to the round per se, you know, negotiations, but I was never involved in the high the the sort of the more political side to it because I was doing more the I would say the 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 detailed work or the technical work but then what was interesting is that Vesley um, and I'm sorry I'm going in a circle but Vesley pulled me into the legal drafting group and that was very interesting because it was scrubbing the legal text in the beginning there was no idea to create a WTO, right? Yeah. So it was it was more these sort of individual agreements. But then when this idea of the, I think initially it was called the multilateral trade organization, which, which then became the World Trade Organization, um, started, then we had to do a bit of legal scrubbing and she brought me in f- to that. And I was helping out um, along with many other colleagues on the legal drafting group. And that was an eye opener for me. That was so interesting. Um, And I had to do some of my own legal scrubbing on the customs valuation agreement because I was also, I became responsible for that in the meanwhile. Um, And it was fascinating. It was really fascinating where we had to really go line by line to see, you know, where are the conflicts, where are the problems, um, how will the transition take place, you know, was there... Was there any overlap? Was there, you know, are our rights and obligations kind of diminished in any way? You know, what what is the consequence? So it was an incredible exercise, incredible exercise. Um, and so the transition was exactly that. It was it was actually a lot of work, uh, making sure everything would be coherent. Um, but that was that was how I felt it at the level of a junior officer working on on texts and and things like that yeah um, I've been working in trade for a, a while and I u- I usually say that other than that time when the WTO was created this is probably like one of the most exciting times as well yes is it true <laughs> according it, to you that it you've was, been there yeah no it was absolutely true firstly you know the whole the whole trend I guess the conclusion of the Uruguay round was hugely important this whole business of a single undertaking it was Incredible. I mean, I, I was working on the customs valuation agreement, which was a plurilateral under the Tokyo round. And then from what, I can't remember, maybe 23 contracting parties, 
you became over 100 members joining the valuation agreement, you know, just just in terms of that. And of course, of course, you had the dispute settlement, you had the monitoring, you had all of that which came into play. But just in terms of me as a junior staff member looking at it, I was like, this is incredible, absolutely incredible. So there, there was this whole whole transition and how it happened with the Dunkel text, you know. Um, he took a lot of risks like that. And uh, then Peter Sutherland being brought in to kind of push the whole thing through. I, it was, and again, sometimes I regret that I was just so junior at the time because I couldn't fully appreciate what was mm. going on. And that I regret a bit because yes, I did get um, a view of it, but it was very much at the periphery and it wasn't at the heart of things. But still, um, I did get to witness an unbelievable moment. And then in Marrakesh, I wasn't there at Marrakesh, but the signing of thousands of pages of tariff schedules. Yvette was there, Ms. Devel was there, um, with Mr. Um, Lindane, the legal advisor at the time. Incredible moment. And then I think the next moment was really, you know, how do you actually get this big machinery going, yeah. right? So you, you've done all that sort of con conclusion work. So then how does the WTO get launched? Um, this was again, you know, we, we all had to think about it. You know, I, I was then I moved on to looking, I was looking at the, looking after the Council for Trade and Goods. How does that work? What are the agenda items that go on? How, how do you get the chair for this body? You know, so all of these questions had to be addressed. So yeah, fascinating time. Yeah, I, I mean, I imagine that, uh, that at the time you were like, how do you do this? <laughs> Where you, yeah. but being here in Geneva, I guess you have also the benefit of perhaps talking to other organizations and... I, I think, yes, and I, I think it was really... Um, or was it all like in-house? I think it was more in-house. Really? I think so. I think it was more in-house from what I can recall. Um, but to be honest, Rodolfo, it was a long time ago. And uh, again, another mistake was not recording all these details whilst you were living through them, you know? Yeah, but I, I, I also know what you, you mean. Like uh, sometimes when you are young and you're just working, you're oblivious to everything that goes around you. And it's only when you look back that you, you yeah. can see. Yeah, I think you, you, you are a little bit oblivious to the importance of the moment. Um, although having said that, with the COVID pandemic, <laughs> you know, my kids are, of course, like everyone else, you know, um, uh, sort of, you know, they're, they're, I guess, going through a slightly frustrating, I mean, I would say quite a frustrating time. But I keep telling them, remember, this is a historical moment because, you know, 10 years from now, this will be taught in history classes. Yeah. You know, how did we, we handle the pandemic? How did, you know, the world handle it, um, countries handle it, uh, uh, what was the impact and so, you know, but yeah, you don't always understand it at the time, but, uh, but there are some things that you understand definitely more clearly, yeah. Um, talking about, uh, you mentioned uh, market access and tariffs. I think there, there's this common misconception that like most of the agreements in the past were exclusively on market access and tariffs and that that's not really the case anymore that we are like in a new generation of agreements i remember i was in a presentation by roy and he actually like said that this was not true even though this 
commonly thought that we don't do not have any more market access or tariff negotiation. I also don't agree. Like, what's your... Um, because there's a, l a lot of market access happening now and that has happened in the last few years. But um, I'm, I'm not too sure what presentation Roy had made on this, but, and I'm, you know, in, in terms of market access negotiations, are you talking about the the DOA or you talking? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I guess I need to clarify that. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't quite clear the question, Rodolfo, I wasn't sure how no, to but put it to I you. mean, it was just in general that he mm -hmm. was saying that uh, in general, like people think that tariffs are no longer really the object of negotiations, be it plurilateral, being a, mm -hmm. like a multilateral or even bilateral, uh, because they're, they're already, they already part from the WTO what they did before. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of market access components still in negotiations in all, in all aspects, even bilateral mm. negotiations. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's new rules established, and there, but there's this big component. I mean, if, you, if you're looking at, of course, FTAs, there's always a tariff component. I think in the Doha round, I mean, you know, that, that was something that we were involved with um, very closely. Um, I think uh, you know, it was, you know, the first step of any tariff negotiating modal, um, uh, tariff negotiation is to get to the modality. And if you compare it to the Uruguay round, um, I think they did struggle, for example, to try and get sort of a modality. So finally they decided to go with a one-third cut. Um, in, in the context of the Doha round, we did push it a bit further with a tariff formula. Um, and then, you know, there was, of course, this, it was a Swiss formula um, with, with two coefficients and then a big discussion about flexibilities and, and Mexico, um, the former ambassador from Mexico was very, um, I would say, uh, was a key, key person in the whole discussions on flexibilities and the menu approach, which you now see in the NAMA modalities text. But we have, I mean, also as, as part of the Uruguay round, we did have a few sectorals, which were, you know, market access. So you had it in distilled spirits, you had it in construction, you had, you know, and, and this were groups, small groups of members agreeing to eliminate tariffs um, in these areas. But of course, the more common one was the, um, the pharmaceutical, which, you know, came out of the Uruguay round. And then subsequently, you had, of course, uh, the ITA, which was part of the, the Singapore. So I, I, I would say that, of course, you know, at the end of the day, if, yes, there has been some movement in the tariff area. And tariffs do continue to be important because we see that in the context of our rectification and modification of schedules. We do see you know, rectifications of tariffs coming in. And it, it's a very interesting, straight after the Uruguay round, you found a lot of um, members, you know, putting in um, rectifications of their schedule of, let's say, autonomous tariff liberalizing measures, you know, which was very interesting at the time. But in terms of, I mean, certainly tariffs continue to be very important. Um, but in terms of actual multilateral tariff negotiations it's less. there's been nothing, yeah, nothing. <laughs> forget less there has been nothing since um, we had the um, 
the famous moment in 2008, but since then, no, there's been no discussion on the yes. NAMA modalities. Yeah, but uh, you did mention um, ITA, and there was ITA too, which I actually was involved in that, mm -hmm. and also EGA, which unfortunately we couldn't conclude it. But they're still like keep coming back, like tariffs keep coming back. And they, they, they could well, you know, uh, there, there are some, um, you know, the pharmaceuticals, uh, pharmaceutical agreement was, um, in, in that agreement there was also the, the review clause. So you had to review the agreement every three to four years. So we've done four reviews and basically that means updating the pharmaceutical agreement to take, to take into account new products. Uh, and inputs into that industry. So uh, there is that review clause, but the thing is we haven't undertaken a fifth review for some time right now, because I think the moment isn't quite ripe or yeah. members aren't ready to um, to take on, on that in initiative at this stage. But there are only about seven participants to the pharmaceutical, of course, with the EU counting as one. But there's also a review clause, I think, in the ITA, and, and we've never we've never been back there. Well, there is. I mean, we, we tried. Soon after the IT was agreed, there was an attempt to try and do a review of it in terms of, you know, updated. So then there was the, um, it was Martin Harvey, I think. He was a delegate from New Zealand who was chairing the ITA. And they did try and have an IT expansion, but it was quite close to the original signature. Um, and it didn't work out, so it took many more years <laughs> afterwards for the IT expansion. But again, the IT expansion just involves a subset of the original ITA group of members, so it's not all ITA yeah. members. Yes, it's true. I, but I was also talking, I think, about ITA too. I think it has a review clause, but we haven't... Oh, oh, I see. The IT expansion, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think right now uh, members aren't looking at reviewing it yeah. uh, at this point, at this yeah, stage. Yeah, not, not that I, I'm aware either. Yeah, but, but the EGA was also very interesting um, because it, was, it, was, it got to a certain interesting point. Um, but then, yes, it didn't go past the finishing line. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and that was unfortunate because I think that it could have benefited from the, the increased global interest in in climate change and uh, and we could have just done it at the same time that the Paris uh, agreement and unfortunately we couldn't benefit from that although it's still a pretty serious concern we missed that moment yeah well you would probably know much better than me about what happened in that negotiation but uh, but it's always, you know, it's always a struggle, even amongst like-minded members. Um, there is always the, the huge willingness to, you know, everyone goes into it saying, we really need to get something out of it. But when it comes to crunch time, you know, each, each member will have their own constituencies, their own stakeholders, and, you know, the interests do, the interests are different, they do diverge. So, um, you know, the, the challenge has always been, you know, how do you accommodate quite different points of view? But then you would think, okay, well, in a, in a kind of um, a sectoral, you are having the like-minded players in, in the game, but even then, yeah. it is a challenge because there is no two country alike. 
Yeah, you know? yeah. and that's imp- it's interesting that you bring that up because I also always say it. Even in like-minded uh, smaller negotiations, it's difficult. Like, let alone a multilateral negotiation, like it's a miracle. It doesn't happen that often. No, it doesn't. And, uh, you know, perhaps the Uruguay round, nobody quite understood what was, I mean, I, I certainly I didn't. Again, I'm speaking from a very, very uh, singular perspective of a junior person involved in the negotiations. And, and perhaps those who were far more experienced really understood the value of what was being done. Well, maybe they didn't, and that's why Or they the s- agreed. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. But I mean, you know, it was hugely significant if you think about it, this whole concept of single undertaking, you know, you're... Yes. And you're you're creating the World Trade Organization. So, yeah, those those members who were very or delegates or ambassadors at the time were who were involved in it must have comprehended perhaps the significance. But I think you also learn by doing. So perhaps you know subsequent to that, you understood really the implications. Um, And uh, that comes with time, so yeah. Um, so now that you you are the director of market access uh, division here mm-hmm. at the WTO, can you talk a bit about the work uh, that the WTO do is doing currently on on market access? So the market access division, we we deal with um, uh, tariffs, so the goods schedules. So we have. We deal with 164 schedules of members. Uh, we deal with the um, quantitative restrictions um, decision. We deal with a number of agreements. So the most, I guess, famous one would be the agreement on trade facilitation. We deal with the agreement on rules of origin, import licensing, pre-shipment inspection. Um, we also have the ITA agreement that we, we deal with. So to, to service all these functions, we, I mean, we, we have about six technical committees. Um, we also deal with the, we service the Council for Trade and Goods, so you know what the Council for Trade and Goods is. And of course, we have the negotiating group on market access, uh, which we service. So it is a very, what, what we call a very operational division. Yeah. Um, and we deal with really the, the day-to-day work of implementation and monitoring. Um, and we do a lot of technical assistance. Uh, and we work with our partner organizations, such as the World Customs Organization. Um, and particularly in TFA, we have a number of organizations like World Bank, OECD, um, UNCTAD, ITC. So we, we work in tandem with a lot of these organizations um, to, to basically support a lot of the, the work that's being done uh, under the purview of these agreements. So, um, and we also help in dispute settlement where you know, some of the issues pertain to our area of expertise. So yeah, we, we're a very busy division from that perspective. And it's, um, and it's very interesting because it changes all the time. It's not, you know, we, we don't just deal with one thing. Just, um, sorry about that. <laughs> but, um, but, but, yeah, so it's, 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 it is a very interesting division precisely because we are doing different things all the time. And uh, I've got a fabulous team 
So that really helps. Um, yeah, and I, I can attest to this because I, I'm a lawyer and sometimes I have to deal with this technical work, mm -hmm. specifically schedules and this, like, so it often goes beyond me, like all the time, the way I'm saying often. <laughs> And I always get the support by yeah. by members of your team. Yeah, they're 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 really, and they have um, uh, an incredible insight. You know, because many of them have been working on these issues for a number of years. But not only that, they've been doing a lot of research, a lot of um, you know, they've also been collaborating with private sector. I mean, this is something I think you know, which which I found very interesting during my my time here, which is that. Sometimes, you know, we found, at least I have found, that the outside is moving more quickly. And so it's very difficult to keep up. I, I remember that many years ago I had um, a meeting with a private sector from Norway. I think it was Norway. It was a group, a group of business people from Norway. And I was in that room, um, and like I said, it was many years ago, but they sort of said to me, so how will the WTO be dealing with 3D printing? I was like, what is 3D printing? So, you know, the thing is we, we need to be able to keep up with what's happening outside. And I think that, you know, my team, uh, that's what they do. So then they, they have this additional insight, which, is, which, is, which, is, which would be very useful to exploit, um, <laughs> you know, and, uh, but, but I think it's also useful for maybe the um, the committees to also recognize that there is this sort of um, interface with what happens in the committees and what is happening outside um, and sort of trying to think of an adequate um, interface is, is something uh, which I think would probably be important in the future. Um, yes, actually sometimes I feel that we we're here, we're in Geneva and we're here working in WTO we feel like we're in a little bubble. Sometimes we don't, we live here and we have our own problems, so we don't see beyond that. And sometimes I think it's good to to have that interaction to see what's going on and how we can collaborate. Mm. I think um, one thing, you know, I think that we have, I've noticed a slightly, I would guess, uh, more of an opening, you know, I mean, in, in different ways, like, for example, the public forum yeah, was public. was an amazing, uh, I think, moment for for the public to get to know the WTO more uh, and for them to to express their views, you know, in 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 I would say in, at, at the WTO uh, in the bowels of the WTO, so to speak. Um, so I thought that was a huge um, change, uh, and I think that was introduced by DG Lamy, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Um, and then you had uh, DG Azevedo, who introduced this whole business of trade dialogues and dialogues with different constituencies, including private sector. And so th these are incremental steps, but very important steps, just simply to 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 note or to recognize that you know the voice of other stakeholders it's worth listening to them it's it's yes one thing is whether members you know will take account of it but i think it's it is useful to and important to hear um because that's that's how you learn about you know what's happening i think i was always struck by one moment which was 
there was a there was a big event. Uh, I can't remember exactly what this event was, and it was it was like the plenary session of an event, and I believe it was um, a young young entrepreneur from either Nigeria or South Africa who was on stage, and she basically said, or yeah, I think she basically said, you know. I didn't even know about the WTO till I was invited to this uh, to attend this event or to make this presentation. So that was a bit, you know, that was a bit of a, a cold shower in terms of wait a minute, how come you know the World Trade Organization you never heard about it? Um, and that's something I think one should be aware of. I mean, of course, our mandate is not that the whole planet knows us, but at least that they know what our mission is, yeah. <laughs> you know? So that's, that's important and that it's valuable. No, it's true. You're totally right. I think that the, the um, public forum is a great, uh, a great yes. initiative. I think that opened the doors to, to this communication, but, uh, but I mean, it's not only the job of the WTO, it's also the job of, like, us. And actually, that's why I have this podcast, this mm. podcast to have, like, like more dialogue between people and for people to know what's happening. And I also think that it has to be constant. It doesn't have to be only, like, one event. Because you have that event, and then maybe the energy or whatever dies off, and then it doesn't carry to, to something concrete. So I think it has to be all the time. I, I would agree with you, Rodolfo. I think it's good, because... You know, things are so fast-paced now that you do have to be exposed to it at all times. You can't just say, I will take note of what's happening outside when it suits me and from time to time. You know, it, it, you will be taken over by events at yeah. one point. So I think it's, it is actually quite critical that one keeps up with um, what's happening, that one is tuned in to what's happening uh, because otherwise you'll get left behind you know at the end of the day so I think this this is quite important um, but how it's done is 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 more complex but I think that you know we're making um, you know the members are taking it forward the right way in terms of the public forum and other events I mean there was the aid for trade also yeah, which was also which was a great yeah. event so yeah Yes, it was like a full, like three or four days. So. It was, I thought it was two days, the virtual, but mm. normally it's three days, yeah. yeah. But uh, but yeah, the problem is always in these events is that there's so many interesting sessions, but they're People always like, together, yeah. so you have to choose which session you attend. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's why, like, I, 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 at the mission of Israel, we organized the trade lecture sessions, mm. which was an idea to kind of continue that dialogue and to avoid the clash of so many interesting sessions. Yeah. Because yeah, sometimes you are like, should I go to this one or should I go? Now maybe it's virtual and you can go, you can attend both or Easier. you can attend part. But before it was a bit difficult. I mean, this is, this is the whole value about virtual is that you can um, attend and participate in more things uh, virtually. Uh, but I, I have to say that um, having experienced virtual <laughs> for about a year now, uh, there is something to be said for in-person meetings, yeah, you know, totally. there yeah. is this whole aspect of networking, of chemistry, of all of that, which, which doesn't exist in the virtual environment and which I think is, is needed when yeah. you're negotiating, for example. Yeah, it's true. Like that, uh, that's an element that 
I don't know if you can quantify, but it's definitely it's different, and you cannot. I know people keep saying it, but it's true. <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, I I notice it, and just in terms of also just you know um, the the collaboration, the brainstorming, the exchange of information. Um, it doesn't happen so easily um, and in a very natural way like it used to when everyone was in their you know offices you just meet up in the corridors you talk and you yeah, say right. in the atrium you would meet everyone exactly to, exactly your ideas like everything exactly but that doesn't happen anymore so hopefully it'll happen again soon yeah I, I i was listening to somebody who was saying that in his view um things will be normal, normal, only in 2024. Oh my God. <laughs> so you, you live through the pandemic, but you have a, um, a sort of uh, intermediary phase, intermediate phase, uh, and then only the normalcy, which happens 2024. But then I did hear Bill Gates say that he expected things to be back to the norm end of 2022. So remains to be seen. Um. Just two more things that I would like to hear your thoughts on. Like one is that um, I think, and this is uh, you because you've been dealing with this for longer, I think that there's this palpable sense of optimism across right now international trade for many reasons. But I think that there was like this reawakening and uh, perhaps it, the pandemic also helped. Uh, But there's this like sense of optimism across everything that perhaps can be the seeds to move forward. Is uh, like, um, do you also see it this way? Well, I well I hope people will see it that way in the sense that you know, and I think when when you come out of um, a situation like that of the pandemic, uh, sometimes it does have a unifying sense. Um, we saw that you know, after September 11 with the DOA, uh, it might be something similar. Uh, but also, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I, think, I think there are a number of things which, which come into play, but I, 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 but I do agree with you that something like this does have a unifying force um, at times. And which might lead to, you know, a bringing together of minds at the right time, but um, it, it remains to be seen because, as I said, there's so many variables at play. Um, but I certainly think the willingness is there and 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 um, the desire. So let's hope, fingers crossed, that uh, we do have good results, terrific results at the end of the year. Well, uh, thank you for this uh, very interesting conversation. It was a pleasure talking to you. Likewise. Well, thank you for having invited me, Rodolfo. Really enjoyed it. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening to the Rodolfo Rivas Project. We are on our third season and we want to continue growing with your help. If you have enjoyed your, our conversations, please recommend us to your friends or false. You can also subscribe, like, and review. It means a lot to us.